This is the Langpreneur podcast where each week we interview experts in the language learning industry who will show you how to turn your passion for languages into a profitable online business so that you can create an independent career doing something you love. I'm your host, Jan van der Aan. Hey everybody, this is Jan. You are listening to the Langpreneur podcast. Now, if you've been listening to the podcast for a while, you know that there are various ways to monetize your online following, right? So you can offer one-on-one lessons um, or coaching. It can also be group coaching or teach to groups of people. Um, think about membership sites, selling online courses. If you have a big channel, if you have a big following, you can also uh, uh, monetize your channel through AdSense, for, exp- for example, or sponsorship deals. Now, one way to monetize your following we haven't talked about yet is um, by doing that through Patreon. And I mean, based on the numbers that I know, you know, talking to lots of Langpreneurs, I don't think that Patreon can be as profitable as selling online courses, but it might be a good option for you. It could be a good option for you if you don't have any courses yet, because it can be quite lucrative and uh, yeah, it's, it doesn't, you know, it's not going to require a lot of your time or effort. So today I have invited Matt, Matt Bonder from the popular YouTube channel Matt versus Japan uh, because he's doing very well on Patreon. And um, yeah, the thing is that you can only, I mean, people only start making donations um, if they really care about what you have to say, right? So they really care about your message. So if you want to make it work, you need a, you know, you need a following of raving fans who really care about what you do. And that's exactly what Matt managed to build over the last few years. So in this interview today, we are going to talk about how Matt built a, a following, a very strong following, and how he, you know, how Patreon has been working very well for him. Of course, you know, in the interview, we also talk a bit about about the background of uh, you know, the people that we interview here. So we're going to talk about Matt's background, how he created a language learning movement, because that's really what it is, a strong following, and um, yeah, how he monetizes his channel through Patreon, pros and cons of Patreon. And he's also going to share the best tips for you guys some of the lessons that he has learned over the last few years building his platform. So without further ado, let's get started. Here is my interview with Matt Bonda. Hey Matt, welcome to the Langpreneur podcast. Yeah, tell the people who you are and what it is you do. Yeah, thanks so much for having me on. So my name is Matt. I have a YouTube channel called Matt vs. Japan where I talk about my personal experience learning Japanese to a pretty high level in a relatively short period of time without living in Japan or largely without living in Japan. Uh, And also just language learning in general, more kind of abstract theory ideas about how it's best to approach learning a language as well as some of the, just the nitty gritty of like, how do you make flashcards? Uh, How do you actually sit down and read a book in a foreign language at various levels and so on? And uh, yeah, I also have a website called massimmersionapproach.com, which is kind of the website blog form of the type of content that I put on my YouTube channel. Yeah. So tell us a little bit about how you got started um, with Japanese. When was it? And uh, yeah, why Japanese? Yeah. So when I very first got started with Japanese, it was just about 10 years ago, maybe even 11 years ago, but about this point. 
uh, and I was a freshman in high school and I had never really been interested in foreign languages at all before or foreign cultures or anything, but I kind of started watching anime, just kind of stumbled across it and something about the way the language sounded and, and the art of the anime just really pulled me in and just gave me this really intuitive sense that I want to learn this language. And there wasn't a lot of logical thinking or reasoning that went into it. It was really just uh, this just emotional force that really compelled me to, to start learning the language. Yeah. And uh, that, well, that was how it started. <laughs> so how do you start? Just learn it by yourself or do you spend time? In well, Japan? yeah. So for the first two years, I wouldn't really consider the way that I uh, was studying very productive. I pretty much just started taking the Japanese class that was offered at my high school. And I was lucky enough to have a high school that offered Japanese classes. Mm. And then I was pretty motivated. So over the summer, I went to my local community college to take the second year of Japanese classes so that when I was a sophomore in high school, which is the second year of high school in American terms, uh, I, would, I was able to go straight into the third year Japanese class. And I was doing well in the class, especially compared to the other students, because most of the other people in the class weren't particularly motivated. They were just forced to take a language class. So they chose Japanese. Mm. And I actually was motivated to learn. But ultimately, I was learning at a really like snail's pace mm. and wasn't making any real tangible progress towards being able to actually understand authentic content of the language or speak the language well myself. And mm. so it was about when I was two years into learning the language in this kind of inefficient way that I stumbled across this blog called alljapaneseallthetime.com, mm. which was created by this guy Katsumoto, who claimed to have learned Japanese to fluency in 18 months while living in the US through using the internet and an MP3 player to completely immerse himself in Japanese from between 18 to 24 hours a day. And so I got really into this blog, really inspired by it and tried to just basically replicate this for myself. So I started creating a Japanese environment in my own room and in my own you know, MP3 player and started just trying to listen to Japanese all the, all the time and only watch Japanese content and try to read Japanese books, although it was pretty hard at first. And then combined that with using Anki to remember the words that were coming up within my immerse, immersion environment. And um, yeah, basically uh, I did that for a couple years. And within there, I did go to Japan for six months on a study abroad in high school which definitely helped a lot, but not as much as many people might assume. Yeah. Uh, it was six months into my all Japanese all the time experience that I went to Japan. I was there for six months and then came back. So I had been one year into all Japanese all the time when I got back from Japan, around three years into learning Japanese total. And I still pretty much totally sucked at Japanese. Like it was very hard <laughs> for me to, to read a book. It would like I, many words, every single page I didn't know. And I couldn't really speak at all. And so it was really the two years after that point of coming back to Japan, where I continued to do all Japanese all the time from home, living in the United States, that I really went from a pretty mediocre level of ability to a, a pretty strong, like maybe B2 level of fluency. Mm -hmm. And then after that point, for another two years, I continued on and then got to maybe like a high C1 or maybe even C2 level in Japanese yeah. from uh, after five years of doing all Japanese all the time. Mm. And uh, yeah, after it's been a couple years since I kind of left that very intensive period where I, I really was living my whole life within Japanese, or at least as much as I as I could. And so I feel like my ability has largely stagnated in the last few years, just because I'm living a lot more of my life in English. And the higher 
level you reach at a language, the more time investment it takes to kind of yeah. push past those diminishing returns and continue to improve. But I'm also pretty happy with my current level. Yeah. So, so where yeah. do you get more immersion in in Japan or in the well in your home, I guess? At home. Yeah, far far more from home because ultimately I spent five years in this very intensive Japanese mode, and only six months of that was actually in Japan. Yeah, but even during those six months, like, do you get more immersion in Japan than at home, or is that different because you're in the country? You can also talk to the people there. So- ah, uh, you mean like per day? Yeah. I mean, I think I definitely probably got more immersion in Japan just because okay. like I would go entire days without hearing any English when okay. I was in Japan because mm. I was very deliberate about that. Mm. Whereas, you know, when I'm at home, got to talk to my family, yeah. got to get some stuff done. But I was still able to like on certain days spend, you know, up to 10 hours a day in Japanese. I mean, there were times where I was going to school and I was going to college and obviously my classes were in English and stuff, mm. but I was able to probably put in um, at least six hours a day, even on a, a day where I was pretty busy. Mm. So when did you start with content creation and, you know, talking, sharing this journey? When was that? Yeah. So when I was still in that period of doing really intensive Japanese immersion, I started putting out some pretty low effort YouTube videos just because I naturally felt like I wanted to share some of the, the things I had discovered really trying to implement what I had read on this all Japanese all the time blog, because the, the all Japanese all the time or AJAT actual website kind of died around, well, between 2012 and 2014, hmm. the creator kind of disappeared from the internet and stopped posting content. And it seemed like the whole rest of the internet had kind of just forgotten about it. Hmm. And so by the time I was actually starting to reach a really strong level of fluency in Japanese, no one on the internet seemed to be talking about AJAT. And I knew there had to be at least some people out there who were trying to do what I was doing. And so I figured, okay, well, I've figured out a lot of things in my, just from trial and error, learning Japanese. So I'll share those to, to, for the internet in case there's a few other people that would benefit from that. Yeah. And so I think it was 2014 or 2015 that I mm-hmm. very first started posting videos. And at first it was just every couple months when I just naturally felt like I wanted to make a video, I would make it and the videos would never take me more than a day. I would just like, cause I would wait until there was an inspiration. There was zero sense of obligation or having to please an audience. So I would only make a video if I naturally had an idea that I just really felt like I wanted to make a video about. So yeah. writing the script was really easy because the idea was already formed. And then I would just kind of record a voiceover and then put random anime clips on the screen to fill the video. It was mostly just me talking. Mm-hmm. And over the course of a couple years of just every couple months putting out one, one of these kind of low effort videos, I built up an audience of a few hundred subscribers, which is not very much at all. But I think uh, in a way, those first couple hundred subscribers are the hardest to get because yeah. going from zero to one is a lot harder than going from one to two. Mm-hmm. And so because I was branding my videos as AJAT videos, although there weren't that many people doing AJAT, there were some, and I was one of the only people putting out AJAT videos. And so all of the, the, the AJATers that were out there found my content. And ah. So it was kind of latching onto the AJAT brand that helped me really kind of bootstrap my channel and go from, from having nothing to at least a couple hundred subscribers. Yeah. And then it was basically after I had a little mini midlife crisis actually, where <laughs> I decided I didn't want to study like what I was studying at college and, and left college with one year left and, and came back home and was kind of just spent a year thinking about what I wanted to do with my life and not really coming to any answers where I kind of just decided, well, 
maybe I can just make this YouTube thing um, work. Not at the time, not as a real career. That was what I was thinking about, but it was kind of like, well, I'm sitting home all day, not doing very much. And this sense of that I'm doing nothing with my life is just starting to eat away at me from, from within. So this is at least something I can do. And I didn't really have any other ideas for alternatives. So I made a video basically saying, Hey, if I made a Patreon, how many of you guys would subscribe? Hmm. And a bunch of people commented like, Oh, I'd, I'd subscribe if you're going to make more content. And so I was like, okay, cool. And at the beginning it was like, Hey, even if I can get 50 bucks a month or something from this, that'd still be pretty cool. Yeah. And so I started with really low expectations. So I started making more videos and I made my Patreon um, in 2017, I think. Yeah. And it kind of just grew for there. So, and as it grew and I put more videos out and, and my, yeah, I guess as I got more serious about it, then I started to see more potential in it and it more and more became what I was doing with my life until at this point for the past year, it's really just been my full-time job essentially. Yeah. Well, that's really cool. So uh, three years ago, you started with uh, Patreon. Like how big was your following at the time? Do you remember? I probably had around, well, less than a thousand subscribers, I think. Okay. I probably had like maybe 600, 700 subscribers. So how I'm many not people, totally sure. How many people sign up when you launched uh, Patreon? I think maybe, it's hard to remember the, the number of patrons. I, I know I had at least like over $100 after the first month, <laughs> okay. which but, seemed like month? a ton at the time. Yeah, because uh, it was just for doing something that I actually kind of wanted to do, right? Yeah. And before that, the only jobs that I'd had were things that I didn't want to do. I was just selling my time, essentially. Yeah. And so, yeah, but it grew pretty quickly once I started putting out content regularly. Like, I tried to put out a video every week. And I think it was because I had that, that niche of age at. And also, back then, I had this really kind of combative attitude where I was like, Oh, all the other language learning methods out there are awful and garbage and they don't actually work. This is the true one that works that actually gets you fluent. And like in hindsight, well, it's hard to say it's, it's hard to say either way. I mean, right now my content is much less combative, like, and much more kind of um, friendly and, and trying to, to basically make as many people as possible want to give what I'm saying a chance. Yeah. Back then I was very polarizing. It was very like, basically, are you on their team or are you on my team? Yeah. And for a, a lot of people that was very off-putting because it felt like, oh, look at this arrogant guy who thinks that his way is the only way. And they wouldn't listen to what I was saying at all because my attitude was such a turnoff. But then there was that minority of people who was like, oh yes, finally, somebody speaking the truth. Somebody yeah. actually not saying that it takes five minutes a day to learn a language, mm-hmm. being honest about how much of a time commitment it is and how hard it is and how it's not easy. And so what happened in that first year when I had this kind of immature combative attitude is I built up a core audience of people who were really, you yeah. know, really, fan, really true yeah. fans mm-hmm. and also made the rest of the language learning internet who knew about me kind of hate me. And so over time, I've started to kind of soften up a bit and try to make my content more approachable. And yeah. it's been pretty successful in the, in the, the big picture because now uh, I have over 50,000 subscribers and more and more people are watching my videos every day. But there's still a minority of people who know me from that period three years ago when I was really combative and still hate me for that. And so I'm still kind of suffering from the bad reputation I made myself yeah. back then. So some people in marketing recommend to be uh, polarizing because that's how you gain real fans, right? People who stand up and 
fine for what you have to say. But yeah, then of course, on the other hand, you're also going to have more haters and trolls and but at least people are going to talk about you. So what, I mean, what would you, so, uh, well, I guess you, you soften down a little bit. Um, you think that's a bad thing to do? Like what would you recommend to people who just get started or maybe in the start, in the beginning, at the beginning, they need to be more polarizing and then later on they can. Yeah. Well, I mean, well, also I'm, I'm ultimately not that knowledgeable at marketing. So take everything I say with a grain of salt, but I would imagine that it would depend on what your goals are, right? Because if your goal is to just build a big following as quickly as possible, then it probably does make sense to be pretty provocative and polarizing because that's, what's going to get people to talk about you. Right. Even if you have good content, if there's not something that makes you stand out from the crowd, then no one's going to go out of their way to, to really watch their content or share your content with other people and things like that. And so in a way, that's why I said, I can't say that I regret the strategy that I took because mm. in the, ultimately it worked out pretty well. Yeah. Uh, and I still think that my content is polarizing, even though I've softened it up a bunch because I have a bunch of opinions that are pretty different from the mainstream. Like one of the things I say is that it's not a good idea to speak the language you're studying uh, right off the bat. It's good to wait between six months or maybe as long as two years, depending on what your final goal is and what language you're learning uh, to to start speaking and just focus on input and comprehension at that first period. And I have a lot of reasoning for that, but that's directly opposed to what a lot of other people say, right? That's they speak from day one. So maybe what really matters here is that you stand out from from the rest, right? And you can do that by being polarizing or by maybe, you know, having a very specific niche, so Japanese and then that specific approach as also a way to stand out, right? Yeah, yeah. And I'll say I am trying to spread out from just Japanese, but it's hard because for a while I was just just I was just Japanese and that's my specialty. So I can provide a lot of specific value in Japanese. Like another thing is I talk a lot about this thing called pitch accent, which which is an aspect of Japanese pronunciation, which uh, until very recently has been very neglected within the Japanese learning community at large. And it's still a very controversial topic where there's a lot of people who say, oh, you shouldn't worry about that. That's a waste of time. That's, that only matters if you're a patho- pathological perfectionist. And so when I say that pitch accent is important and how to study it, that also kind of brings me a lot of attention. Hmm. But I can't really go into topics on that level for other languages that much because I just don't have the, the knowledge, the specialty knowledge of it. Yeah. So how do you grow the channel? Like, are there some of, you know, do you have some tips or what were some of the things that have worked really well for your channel so far? Yeah, well, I think what my strategy was early on, I was very focused on that niche and I really wasn't worrying about what my videos would look like to people who didn't already like get it, so to speak. So I was assuming that they already had read the AJAT website and that, yeah, basically in my mind, I created this kind of uh, binary between Um, people who kind of get immersion learning and people who don't get it. And I wasn't worrying about the people who don't get it because it was kind of like, that's such a big hurdle to try to convince people that immersion learning is legitimate if they don't already get it. And so instead I was just focusing on the people who already got it. And because there was so few YouTubers or just language learning content creators talking about immersion learning, or at least this particular style of immersion learning, I was able to really corner the market, so to speak. And I was really just targeting it towards them. And so I, I think I just was able to have a lot of ideas of, of just 
content that would be useful to people, but hadn't been created yet. Like one of the things I did that uh, is, is a video I actually have removed, but I'm going to make a new version of was this video where it was just a map between your first day learning Japanese until you're at like a really high level of fluency. And I broke down the whole process into five stages and I wrote exactly what to do in each stage and roughly how long it would take. Mm. And I think this video was just really eye opening for a lot of people because no one else said like, here is the path to start to actual fluency. Mm. Everyone else talks about be the be like beginning until like mid intermediate level, but mm. no one talks about what happens after that. And I think the reason why people don't talk about that is because, well, first of all, maybe they don't really know how to break past that, that intermediate plateau and get to fluency. But also there's so few people who make it that far that from a marketing standpoint, maybe it feels like it, it, it's kind of inefficient to be talking about something that only 1% of people are ever going to reach anyway, right? Yeah. Like Duolingo is really focused on the beginning stage because probably 95% of all language learners are at the beginning stage of whatever language they're trying to learn. Yeah. But the other side of that means that for those 5% of people who are really serious about reaching fluency, no one is making content for them. Mm -hmm. And so I was able to kind of corner that market. And then over time, as my following grew, I started to make videos that were actually trying to sell people on immersion learning. So I kind of transitioned between or transitioned from making content just for people who already got it to yeah. trying to sell people who didn't yet get it. And I, and I would, and it wasn't that that was what all my content was, but I started to do like 50, 50 between like talking to the people who already got it and giving them tips and advice and then actually trying to convince people. And what I found was that trying to make that content that tries to convince people about why immersion learning works really helped my channel grow because mm -hmm. my core audience actually really was supportive of that content, even though yeah. it didn't necessarily teach them anything new. Yeah. If you're an immersion learner, and you basically subscribe to this very minor philosophy that isn't widely understood, you have this desire to help the other people around yes. you understand your ideas. Mm. And so for me, they saw me as kind of actually bringing other people into our side. So they were kind of like, I was like, they were like the rooting for me. Yeah. Yeah. They were rooting for me as this kind of leader of, of this thought movement to help bring other people into our side. And so because yeah. of that, they were still very supportive, even though the content wasn't necessarily uh, helping them directly that much. And they also felt like, okay, cool. Now I can send this video to my mom or to my, my roommate who's trying to learn a language mm. because I haven't been successful myself trying to convince them about yeah. immersion learning. Yeah. And then of course that content also has the possibility to catch on with a wider audience because yeah. it's, it's meant to be user-friendly and that helps my content grow as well. So like last year I put up a video called why you still can't understand your target language. And I explain all the different sub skills that go into listening ability and how if you don't actually practice listening to your target language for thousands of hours, there's no way you're going to build up and train all these sub skills to a point where you can actually understand native speech in, in a foreign language. And it's something that from someone who's an immersion learner is kind of obvious because if you actually spend thousands of hours listening to the language and you, you go through the step-by-step the -step process of cultivating listening ability, you start like it becomes clear that without actually spending thousands of hours practicing, you're never going to get good at the skill, right? It's like mm -hmm. any skill, piano, swimming, yeah. you have to actually practice. Whereas there seems to be this assumption within many language learners who haven't thought deeply about this topic, that if you just learn the knowledge, like you memorize the meanings of the words and you memorize the grammar formulas, then that will somehow immediately translate into listening ability. And they don't see that that's more like reading a book about swimming without having ever jumped into a pool. It's like you have to combine both of those if you want to actually get fluent.
And yeah. so that video, since it had such a generic title, but was something that was kind of enticing, right? Like why you can't understand your target language. I think that really in like to a lot of kind of uh, people who have been learning a language for a while, but didn't have the results they wanted. That was a, a title that really drew them in. And so that video kind of really caught on right now. It has over 150,000 views, I think. And that brought a lot of traction to my channel. Yeah. So that types of content. I also have a video that I did a, like a month or two ago called why you still can't understand sentences, even though you already know all the words. And that was a similar thing of just basically explaining that language is a skill you need to practice. And it's different from a kind of academic discipline where the knowledge alone is enough or mm -hmm. the knowledge alone is the end all be all that it's the knowledge is a good first step, but you have to actually put in practice uh, consuming content in your target language to translate that knowledge into an actual skill. So it's really interesting. So if we try to summarize here why your channel has been a success so far, um, well, then how can we summarize it? So basically by choosing a niche, right, in the first place, Japanese, and then having a very specific approach, and then maybe also having an approach that not everybody agrees with, mm -hmm. so that you really create an army of people who support what you do, who stand up and who support you, who share your videos, who give you the likes, I guess you also get a lot of a lot more engagement if you're not doing the mainstream thing, right? So all about being unique. Um, yeah, yeah. And well, I also think that yeah. there's kind of just more and more this hunger or this need for the type of content that I'm making where people at large are realizing that things like Duolingo don't take you to fluency. And there's more and more people who they've been trying to learn a language for a while, but just not getting the results. And they kind of are starting to intuitively understand that something is missing. And so people are, I kind of, I think at large, more and more people are ready to just bite the bullet and accept that language learning is hard and it takes a lot of time, but they're ready to do it anyway, because they really want the results and they want to go through that experience of discovering another culture and another language to a high level. Mm -hmm. And so I just happen to be in the right place at, at the right time in a sense too. Yeah. So tell us a little bit about the business. So, I mean, can you live, can you live off Patreon or what is the business? Like you're saying, you're doing this full yeah. time. How does it work? Well, so right now I'm, I'm doing it full time and my main income stream is Patreon. And right now I am making enough on Patreon to live pretty comfortably and pay mm -hmm. all my bills. Yeah. And for whatever reason, my kind of YouTube viewership to Patreon support ratio has always been really good. Yeah. Like I right, right now have a little over 50,000 subscribers. My videos tend to get around 10,000 views on average. Yet when I look at my Patreon support, a lot of times I'll see that I have a lot more supporters on Patreon than people who might have millions of subscribers and get hundreds of thousands of views. And I think, that's due to a combination of all the factors we just talked about where yeah. I'm kind of at this niche and a lot of people, there's just a lot of demand for this kind of service that I'm offering that not a lot of other people are offering, but also I've structured my Patreon so that the, the perks that you get of subscribing are pretty like significant, I guess you could say. Like, I think a lot of other people, they, they design their Patreon such that the perks that you get, if you subscribe are kind of nice, and they're better than nothing, but they're not so strong as to entice people to sign up just because they want the perks, unless they're like a really hardcore fan. Whereas the way that I've set it up is that uh, there's different tiers and you get different benefits at each tier. So I have a Discord server community and 
if you sign up at the $1 tier, which is the lowest tier, then you get access to this Discord server, but you're not actually allowed to participate in the conversation. And so this is still beneficial if you just want to kind of keep up with what is going on in the community. Like you can see all the questions people are asking and all the answers that are getting uh, posted in response to that. You can see all the resources that are, people are posting or the new ideas that people have. And you also can see more intimate updates from me. Is that, that like a separate platform or where, where, where do you post all of this? Um, on, on Discord is kind of like, so it's this platform that is really similar to Slack, if you know oh, okay, Slack. Okay, I, I, I haven't heard about Discord. Yeah, I know about Slack. So oh it's yeah, it's, Slack. it's kind of like Discord, but for um, a little bit more informal, less for a professional setting and more okay. for kind of hanging out with your friends, you could say. And so you can create these, I, I guess you could call it like, they're called servers, but it's basically a chat room Yeah. Okay. where there's, there's different channels in the chat room. So there's like one for, for general, one for asking questions, one for Japanese specific stuff, one for Chinese specific stuff. And so to you, to join the server, you have to become a patron. And so if you, yeah, at the $1 tier, you can join this chat room and see what's happening, but you can't actually speak yourself. You, mm -hmm. you can only view, you can't participate. But like I said, there's there's still a lot of benefits of that. If you because it's only one dollar too, right? So I think that gets a lot of people in the door. They're like, well, yeah. you know, everyone has one dollar a month to to spare, and then they get to see what's up in, with the community and just see what resources are getting posted and stuff. And then at the five dollar tier, I post a, a Q and A video every other week, just for patrons. That is about an hour long where I will kind of go. It's a very you know long form video, so I might spend twenty minutes giving my hyper detailed thoughts on one question. And basically every other week, people post their new questions on the, the previous post and yep. then other people can upvote the questions. And then I answer the questions in order of how many upvotes they have. So I know mm -hmm. that I'm answering the ones that are in, in the highest demand. And then at the $10 tier, then you can actually participate in the server and speak yourself and be part of the community. And then at the $15 tier, I put your name at the end of a video and like the credits, but I haven't been so diligent about that. I'm trying to get better at it. Sometimes I forget to do it. Uh, so not very many people are at that tier, but basically the majority of people are, yeah, in the either one, five or $10 tier. And it's kind of split like roughly one third each. Yeah. And basically uh, at the very beginning, just for the, at the $1 tier, people could participate in the server and it, it was full access, but as the number of people grew, it just got too crowded. And so I kind of raised that paywall to be $10 to speak in the server, just so that basically to limit the total amount of people so that it's not too crowded and then the quality of the conversation can be higher. Yeah. And so I think for a lot of people, they're subscribing partly because they want to support me, but also just because they want the benefit. Like if they're, they're serious about language learning, then they want to hear these Q and A videos because that's also where I talk about my newest ideas and kind of can respond to, to other things that have popped up in the community. So if you really want to keep up with what is, is the latest and greatest from me, then that's the best way to do that. And then also a lot of people, they want the community is really valuable because they get to meet other people who are doing the same technique and are playing, applying the same ideas. And a lot of times because at large, this type of language learning isn't very common and it's still kind of the the, the minority of, of language learning I, of styles, it can be isolating or lonely if you don't have anyone to share it with, right? And this is just people who are serious about learning a language. It's something you invest so much time and energy into. 
where if you don't have someone to share that with and to kind of talk about your struggles together and your triumphs together with, then it can get really isolating. And so I think that aspect of it is really cool as well. And that's also cool for me because I'm basically providing value by just creating this space where people with common interests can come together, yep. but that doesn't necessarily take that much of my time and energy, yep. right? So how, how does Patreon work? I mean, do they take a commission or? Yeah, they take a, a commission. It, it ends up being roughly 10%. I think there's like two pieces of it. One of them is just like their fee. They're like, do they just take a cut because you're using their platform? And then they have another fee that's like a processing fee and it comes together to be like a little over 10%, I think. Yeah. Have you ever tried to offer some, you know, more expensive services or maybe teaching or coaching in that group? Well, so yes, actually. So when I first made my Patreon, I offered for $20 a month, a kind of coaching service where we would just get on a Skype call or a Discord call and talk for 30 minutes a month. For only and, $20. <laughs> yeah, because that was when I very first started. And I, I mean, I still didn't know if anyone would want to, to, to even pay that. And in my mind, I think I made like five tiers or something. So it was like, man, if everyone signs up, then that's another hundred <laughs> bucks a month. And yeah. back then that felt like a lot to me. Yeah. And so, uh, yeah, they filled up a lot and it was it was cool and I, I learned a lot doing this, but what I found out is that for this style of, of language learning, talking every single month is, is kind of more than necessary as a, it's like a coach, coach to student relationship because I'm not really teaching people Japanese or teaching people a foreign language. I'm teaching them how they can teach themselves a foreign language. And so a lot of times not enough happens within the course of 30 days for there to really be a lot to talk about. A lot of times, like maybe for the first couple sessions, there's a lot to talk about. And when people are still kind of learning the method, learning the technique and working out the kinks. And then after a while, it's kind of like, yep, I know what I'm doing. Everything's going great. And after like five minutes, we'd run out of stuff to talk about because it's kind of just like everything's going well, just got to keep on applying the method. And so I stopped doing these consultations through Patreon and started doing them on just a like a, a per request basis, essentially, where I have an offer on my website where people can send me an email and ask for a one-on-one -on -one consultation. And I set it up and it's a one-time thing. And then if they want to talk to me again, then they can just reach out whenever they feel that they want to do that and we can set it up again. Yeah. And over time, I've raised the price just as the demand has increased. Mm -hmm. Like when I, when I first stopped doing it through Patreon, I think it was $60 a month but I've slowly raised it to 120 and now to 140 or not per month, sorry, per session yeah. per hour, essentially They're, they became hour long sessions, yeah. not half hour long sessions. So yeah, 60 an hour and then 120 an hour. And now recently 140 an hour, basically just because I only really want to do maybe three, like two to three of these sessions a week. Mm -hmm. And so basically I just keep raising the price until the demand meets how many I want to do. Yeah. And over time, as my channel's gotten more exposure, then there's been more requests and therefore I've been raising the price. So I think I know that there's some people who criticize me for charging that much money. I mean, it's also- I know people who charge much more. I don't think- Yeah, it's yeah. It's also like how much, it's a pretty reasonable price if you're going to go see a therapist or something. Yeah. But if people are like, wow, that's so outrageous how we charge us that much. But how I arrived at that price is simply deciding how much I want, how many times I want to do that per week <laughs> yeah. and then raising the price until- the amount of times I wanted to do it matched how many people wanted to do it with me. Yeah. And so it's the, just the natural result of that. Mm -hmm. But yeah, there's been many people who I've talked to three or four times 
and a smaller number of people who I've talked to like six plus times over the course of a year and a half. And that's been really cool because I get to see somebody grow and move towards fluency in their foreign language, right? Yeah. Like those people who I've talked to from the beginning and now they're pretty much fluent in their target language. And every couple of months they just reach out when they feel like enough has changed in their process and their experience that it would be worth just kind of checking in yeah. and seeing if I have any advice for them or anything like that. And I think a lot of times it's not that they really have any problems they need me to help them solve, but more that they just want somebody who's gone through the process to look at what they're doing and tell them, yep, looks good. Yeah. Nothing, no problems that I see just so that they don't end up wasting their time kind of yeah. falling into a trap they could have avoided. Yeah, just for the motivation and I guess also accountability, right? It's good mm -hmm. like if there's someone there you know who's going to check in with you and see if you're doing your work. And especially if they watch your YouTube videos, they admire you, you know, they don't want to let you down. So Yeah, totally. I see how that could work. Have you ever thought about selling packages, for example, where you say, you know, coaching package, six-month plan, every month we meet once and then put a high price on that? Or is that Yeah, that's a pretty good idea. I haven't really... Well, someone else has suggested that to me and I meant, and I kind of totally forgot about it until just now and you had that idea, <laughs> but yeah, that could be a good idea. I should, I should think about something like that. Yeah. Or maybe group coaching, like with multiple people at one group. So then you don't have to charge. Yeah, that would be cool too. Well, I, I kind of do have an idea of maybe one day kind of doing um, some kind of course where I'd have a cohort of, of people and I'd work with that maybe 10 to 15 people. Yeah. like once a week for the course of a month and then maybe once a month after that for a period of months to kind of help them start the process. Yeah. And uh, because one of the cool things about doing the, these coaching, coaching sessions is that I get to learn a lot about what That's people okay. struggle with yeah. and what things aren't clear. And then that informs my content creation. So it's, yeah. it's really a great thing because I get, I mean, I get paid and then also it's really great marketing research. Yeah, exactly. So I think if I, had a more formal structure where I could work with a group of people consistently over a longer period of time, then there'd probably be additional insights that I could come to about what, um, what works for people and what doesn't work. That's hard yeah. to see on just one-time sessions or something like that. Yeah. And you have that group of, um, sorry, what was the name of the platform? Discord. Like that's like Discord, right? So you see all those people chatting there and mm -hmm. ask, asking all these questions. And that's of course one source uh, you know, there's like one source of input that you get for your videos. But then when you start doing the group coaching, you actually have people who paid, who not, who not just pay $1 or $10 or $20, but who paid much more. And then if you start answering the questions that they are asking you, you start attracting more people who are also willing to spend money, right? So that could be a really good way to, to attract yeah, not yeah. just a bigger audience, but also to att attract more customers, customers who, who are willing to to um well to pay for your services right um but yeah that sounds good it was interesting to learn a bit more about patreon because i, I had actually no idea <laughs> how exactly it worked um what about course creation ever thought about that like creating courses or are you more about using resources that are already out there i mean it's definitely something that i think about i think a big also part of the reason why i have been successful at growing my audience is that the core content that I've produced has always been totally free. Yeah. And everything I put behind a, a paywall is kind of like just additional extra content, which is helpful, but not necessary. So I've done everything so far that like the videos on my main channel, which of course it's YouTube, anyone can watch them, are the core of my content in, in addition to the articles that I have on my website, which, is, which are also totally free. And I think with Patreon, 
there's, although I talked about how I think a lot of it is that people are signing up for the perks. Also, one of the more implicit perks is that you get to feel that you're supporting something that you believe in and that you're a fan of. Mm -hmm. And I think the fact that I'm putting out all the content for free so that anyone who wants to learn a language without spending any money can do so makes people feel a lot better about supporting the endeavor because it kind of has this almost altruistic feel Mm -hmm. to it. And so the more that I put behind a paywall, the more it will feel more like I'm running a business instead Mm -hmm. of running this kind of altruistic endeavor. Mm-hmm. And I think that will also kind of probably reduce the number of people who are real evangelists who really feel like they're going to go and tell all their family and friends about yeah. what I'm doing. Because like yeah. right now when they're doing that, they don't feel like they're supporting a business. They feel like they're supporting a movement. But mm-hmm. the more that I make it into a business, then the, the less that will happen. Yeah. But at the same time, I do got to think about my livelihood in the long term. Yeah. And so, uh, cause, cause the other problem with Patreon is that it's essentially the opposite of passive income where mm-hmm. you're not, you don't really get Patreon support for what you've already created. People are supporting you so that you can continue to go on to create more content in the future. And, and they see that potential of what you could create. Mm-hmm. And so basically you have to continually churn out new content in order to keep getting the amount of support that, that you're getting. Yeah. And this is problematic because like eventually I'm going to pretty much say everything I have to say (laughs) on language learning. And then my choice will either be to basically pivot and do something completely different or just start repeating myself. And I definitely don't want to just repeat myself because I hate when when I see other people doing that. And so I do think something like a course might be a good way for me to start like basically introduce some forms of passive income into the mix so that. I can be more financially stable in the long yeah. term and also maybe do it from a little bit of a different angle so that mm. I, you can still always apply everything I'm doing for free. Yeah. But if you want a little extra help in some specific area, maybe I could have a, a course mm. that covers that. Yeah. Also, if you have courses, you can generate more money, which means that you're going to have more money that you can reinvest in your business, right? Maybe by hiring, I don't know, video editors, maybe you don't need that for your videos, but I don't know, like a virtual assistant or somebody who turns your videos into blog posts so that you can attract more traffic. Um, yeah, lots of opportunities there. But yeah, that was really interesting to learn more about. By the way, about Patreon, do you get that? Do you get the email addresses or the contact information of the people who sign uh, up? Yeah, I, I do get. Oh, people do. need to put an A email. I don't know if it's their their main email or not. But yeah, I do have A email from all the people. Okay. Yeah. Well, that's that's good because that means that you can contact those people if uh, mm-hmm. Patreon bans your account. I don't think they're gonna do that because it means <laughs> they're also missing revenue. But. Uh, yeah. Okay, Matt. Well, that was, uh, that was really interesting. So if people want to learn more about you and about your work, where can they go? Yeah. Well, uh, youtube.com slash Matt first Japan. <laughs> yeah. And my website is mass immersion approach.com. And yeah, if, if you go to either of those, you can find my Patreon and Twitter and stuff linked, but I think it's, yeah, just my Twitter handle is also Matt first Japan and the Patreon handle is mass immersion approach. We're going to check it out. All the links will be in the show notes. Matt it was a pleasure. Yeah, same. Thanks so much for having me on. Your language business or maybe meet us at one of our upcoming events, then go to our website, langpreneur.com. Thanks for listening and see you in the next episode.